Okay. Uh, hi, my name is Jeffrey. I'm a compulsive, <laughs> compulsive overeater. Hi, everybody. Uh, Nikki, thank you very much for asking me to um, to lead today. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, I'll qualify. I came into program in September of 2006. I came in close to 300 pounds. And I'm down about 100 pounds, and it's, uh, what are we, 2014 now. It's, um, it's quite amazing, and I brought some pictures to, um, to pass around. All right, I'm going to um, talk a little bit about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I grew up in a pretty decent household. I had two very loving parents. I had a brother. I had a sister. My parents were incredibly supporting, supportive of everything that all the kids wanted to do. Um, there was, at, at one point, my parents, they did get, to, they got separated, they got divorced, there was a little bit of fighting in the house, but overall it was a great time. And I grew up uh, with a father who was very, very successful, um, and he had many highs and many lows. Uh, one day his company's in the New York Stock Exchange, and the next day he was broke, and that happened a couple times. And I, and, I, and I grew up with that, but he never let our family feel any of that. Uh, great provider and my best friend. I, um, there were two things that happened in my life that I can look back on that I remember where there was a switch that was turned. Uh, when I look back at pictures of myself when I was a kid, uh, I was a skinny kid. I was active, I was skinny, I was normal. Uh, in fact, people thought I was a little strange because I didn't eat a lot of food. Uh, two things happened. One, when I was very young, I had an inappropriate relationship with my best friend's mother. And I was very, very young. And I can look back and see pictures at that time. And very shortly thereafter, I started putting on weight. And I started putting on a lot of weight. And I can't, you know, it's hard for me to remember these pictures when I was a kid when I wasn't, um, when I wasn't heavy. Husky was the word. And, um, and I also don't remember a time growing up when, and I, and I guess this, this ties into that, I used to wake up in the morning and, and the minute I would open my eyes, I would run to the bathroom and throw up. That's what I remember. Um, I, would, I remember, I would wake up, and the minute my eyes would open, I'd have to run to the bathroom. And I would just dry heave. There'd be nothing there, but I would be throwing up. And I think that that was most likely in response to what had happened. Um, and then the other thing that happened, there was, a, there was a transition, and I remember I, I lost some weight. I don't remember what happened. But then when I was 14 years old, my father, for my birthday, bought me a hooker. And that was my 14th birthday present. And, and I will tell you, and I've shared this before... You know, at 14 years old, it was probably the greatest thing ever. It was, it was amazing. But let me tell you, uh, in my 20s and in my 30s, it's awful. It's awful. Um, my father, he did the best he could. He was my best friend. I loved him very much. Um, but I would not do that to my own kid. I wouldn't. It was just... Uh, how do you have a relationship with people when you're 14 years old and your first experience is with a hooker? It just doesn't, it didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me. And I remember, I just, um, I just remember being 
heavy. I always remember being out of place. In school, I was... Um, I never felt a part of. I always felt a little bit different. I was a bigger kid. They always wanted me to play football and sports, and I was into theater. Um, I, um, I didn't really have a lot of friends in school. I, I actually enjoyed the, the company of the teachers more than I did the students. And, I, and at a very young age, I always knew what I wanted to be. I always wanted to be in the entertainment business. So my head was always about a, a hundred yards ahead of everybody else's. So while everybody in school was figuring out what they wanted to do, I knew what I wanted to do. And I wasn't, I wasn't present doing anything in school. So I'm going to uh, skip ahead a little bit. So I, I, I got to college, and, and as I said, my father was very successful. And I had literally an unlimited supply of money when I was in college. Unlimited supply. I don't even want to talk to you about the, the amount of money that I spent personally was insane. All I did was call a secretary, deposit this, and that was it. I had no concept at all of money. I had no concept of, of, of other people. I was intolerant. I was, uh, I was very angry. Um, I felt like the world owed me. Um, I had a real chip on my shoulder. I really did. And... All through college, um, I remember, you know, I just gained weight. I ate a lot of food. I ate a lot of food. I didn't go to parties. I, didn't, I wasn't very social. I spent a lot of time alone, coming home at the end of, of the day, and the end of class, ordering a pizza, ordering just ice cream. The, the amount of food that I ate, I'm not even going to go into that. It is, it's, uh, I can't even believe what I used to do with food and how I used to hurt myself with food. It was, uh, it was the only thing, it was the only thing that made me feel better, but yet I would eat the food and then I would feel worse. And the feeling of, I have to keep eating to make myself feel better and then I feel worse. And the only way to get rid of that really bad feeling was to just keep eating, and of course I continued to, uh, you know, uh, spend money on hookers. It was food and hookers. That's what I did. That was my, uh, that was my thing. And um, I moved to New York City after uh, after college, and I was living in an apartment uh, overlooking Central Park. Which at 21 years old, making no money, this is not how somebody should really live. It's just not reality. Um, it was great, and I had a very good friend who said, Jeff, you need to stop. And I'm like, are you crazy? Look at what I have. I mean, this is, I'm not going to stop. I wish I had listened to him. He was also in, in, uh, in AA. Um, but as time went on, I just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I kept eating and kept eating and I kept eating. And I truly felt as though that was the way things were for me. That's how my life was going to be. I mean, people, some people were successful, some people did this, some people did that. I ate, and I felt crappy about myself. You won't see any pictures of me looking sad. I'm always happy. I've always got a big smile on my face. I was always the class clown. I was always making people laugh. I was always friendly with the most beautiful women. The beautiful women didn't want to really have anything to do with me, but I was always friendly with the most beautiful women, and I, and I just love that. But it, was, it never went any, any further than that. And um, I wound up moving to, um, as I said, New York after college, and um, my weight went up and up and up. And um, skip ahead a little bit. 
I used to diet like everybody else. I would go on a diet two months. I would do great white knuckle, lose the weight two months, and then after a couple months, it would just be um, uh, back to the eating and gaining the weight and always gaining more weight and always feeling like crap and not really knowing why. Not, not having a solution, not knowing that there actually is a solution out there. So I had, I had moved out to L.A. and I had lost some weight. and I, I, I guess I was down to like 215 pounds or so and I was feeling so good about myself. And my friend was in... AA out here. He used to go to the Studio City meetings at, uh, I think they were at 9 o'clock in Studio City. And he said to me, he's like, you know, you might want to go to an, to an OA meeting. And I said, what's OA? And he said, well, OA is Overeaters Anonymous. And people who have, you know, food issues, they go to OA. And I said, well, okay, you know, I'll try it out. I was feeling really good about myself. I went to OA. And I remember I got into the, into the rooms. I went to a meeting. And, and I actually, I stopped eating sugar for 30 days, which was... Um, I don't know, it was kind of strange. It was just a strange thing not to, not to eat sugar. Uh, but I hated everything about program. I hated, uh, I hated the people. Um, I hated the message. I, I, I hated the God talk. That, I'm, I'm Jewish and I, I believe in God. I always have. And I'm not, a, I'm not a religious person. But when people start talking about God and solving problems, and, oh my God, that just was not for me. Uh, I grew up, if you have an issue, you have a problem, deal with it. Do it. You can do it on your own. Take care of it. Um, and I shared this before. I got him, and I, I don't think this person is around anymore, but someone had a license plate outside the meeting, and the license plate was PWRLSS. And I remember, even, even now I'm thinking about it, I got a real um, physical reaction to seeing that license plate. It didn't make any sense to me that somebody would go around advertising that they were powerless. That didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. You're powerless and you're telling the world that you're powerless. So I stayed for 30 days. I took, a, I took a chip after 30 days and then I left and I didn't come back. And I think that was in 2000 and, I don't know, 2003, 2004. Um, so I left. Was it a good weight, 215 pounds? What do you think happened? That's what happened. So I just uh, continued to eat and eat and eat and I got heavier and heavier and heavier. And... Um, I was working a job at a big media company, and uh, one of the pictures that I'm passing around, it's me in a Hawaiian shirt. I remember that was on a Saturday. That's right. It was on a Saturday, and I came into work on a Monday, and I was met by the security guards, and they had to escort me off the lot. I was fired from my job. And, um, and I was pretty miserable because I couldn't stop eating. Um, and I remember I got home, and... Uh, I looked at myself in the mirror and I just said, I got to do something. I mean, I got to do something because this is, a, I'm in a bad way. This is bad. I was at the heaviest that I ever was, close to 300 pounds. Um, I was angry um, and I just couldn't stop eating. So I went back to OA and I walked through the doors and there were a couple people that were in that same meeting that I had been to a couple years earlier. And... All of a sudden, for whatever the reason, what they were talking about started making sense. And, um, and I remember I went up to this guy. A lot of you might know him, Scott Redman. He was my first sponsor. But I, uh, I went up to Scott and I said, um, so I just said, could you use another sponsee? And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, could you use a sponsor? And I said, yeah, I could use a sponsor. And uh, he was my first sponsor. And it's important for me to, to share that 
while I was working the steps with Scott, I was still binging. Um, and he told me, he said, you know what, if, you're, if you are binging at 12 o'clock at night, if you're on your way to McDonald's and you want to call me, call me anytime. He said, I'm serious as a heart attack. I will do anything that I can do to keep you from, to, to stop eating. Um, but I was, still, um, I was still binging while I was working the first three steps. And then Scott got sick and um, he was supposed to move to Florida and I told him, I said, look, you know, I, I really want to work with somebody who's local. So um, I got another sponsor and then he wound up staying. But I started working with this other sponsor, um, a woman in program. And I just started going through the steps with her back again. Steps one through 12 and, you know, the, doing it out of the OA 12 and 12, the AA 12 and 12. And um, things just started changing for me. I looked at the different people in the rooms and I saw that... Um, that they had what I wanted. They had, there, was, there was a woman in program who had a, a peace and serenity that I wanted, and so I latched onto her. There were other people who had uh, stillness about them that I really liked, and I latched onto them. There were people who were 100-pounders, which did, made no sense to me whatsoever. In fact, my friend said to me, she said, you're a 100-pounder. And I said, what does that mean? She said, you have 100 pounds to lose. 100 pounds to lose? How is that possible? How did that even happen? And it didn't make any sense to me. How do you lose weight in a program where they're not telling you what to eat? It didn't make any sense to me. And so I, I kept saying, I don't understand. There's, what am I supposed to do? What do I do? And they kept saying, just keep coming back, work the steps, and come to meetings. And at the time when I wasn't working, it was so great to be able to come to meetings because I was getting to probably seven, eight, nine meetings a week, not because somebody told me to go, because it was the only thing that was making me feel any better. It was the only thing that was giving me great relief. And I sat in the rooms for months, and I was the crier. Every meeting, I was in the back, just, just bawling my eyes out all the time, because all of this stuff was, was, was coming out. And, and there, were just, there were people in program that I saw had taken this path, and I just said, I want what you have. Tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. We admitted we're powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. That was such an easy one for me to do. My life was completely unmanageable and I was completely powerless over food. Um, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And they did. Do this, 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 this and this. And I just said, fine, I'll do it. Because I knew instinctively... I'm here in program, I'm in a 12-step program, a self-help program. My way of doing things doesn't work. I was miserable. I was 300 pounds, I was angry, I had no relationships with anybody. Um, come home, shut the door, you know, they talk about closing the blinds, whatever. I would just, that's what I would do, and I would just eat all the time. And very, very slowly things started to change. I heard in program, if you want to build self-esteem, do esteemable acts. Oh, I have to do something for somebody else. Okay, what do I have to do? Well, come to a meeting and take a service position. So I, my first service position was timer, and it, it scared the hell out of me. What happens if the time? What happens if something happens to the timer? What am I going to do? And um, and I and I would go to all of the the OA events. I would go to the the workshops in the valley. I was living in the valley at the time. I would go to. Um, um, I would come to meetings. I was just at meetings. I was around other people. I would go for fellowship after the meetings. We'd go out for coffee. And, uh, and I would just sit there and listen, because most of the time I didn't have much to say, but I would just listen. And, um, and, and slowly relationships started to build. You know, I've heard people say, I'm not in these rooms for, to make friends. I'm here for recovery. 
I mean, that's great, but I happen to make some really great friends in these rooms. I made some people that are in my life now for many years that are so important, that are so important to my recovery, that are more important to a lot of the friends that I've had for so long. They're just different. They're different. And I did make great friends in these, pro- in this, in these rooms, and I'm, and I'm so happy about that. Um, and so that's what started happening. I started coming to, the, coming to meetings and working the steps and, and, and doing my four-step. And I've got to tell you, I'm a perfectionist. I am an absolute perfectionist. When I started doing my four-step, I started doing it out of the big book with the columns. Has anyone else here tried to make straight columns with a ruler and everything? Because that's what I tried to do. And I couldn't do it. And it was driving me crazy. And... Um, Skip ahead real fast to what it's like now. I met someone in program. I met a beautiful woman in program. And the great thing about program is, is that everything is about the next indicated step. That's what it felt like to me. Everything was about the next indicated step. And I saw this woman and I just thought, this is the next step. I didn't feel... Gone were the feelings of, I have to buy this person everything in the world just so she'll like me. It was more of... Wow, let's go. What's the next step? And we started dating. We got engaged. We got married. And um, she's the love of my life. We had a baby. One of the pictures that I'm passing around is of my little girl. It is the greatest thing in the world. Greatest thing in the world. It is... um, I never wanted I never wanted kids. I didn't know. She said she wanted kids. The only way that I could date her is if I said, sure, I want to have kids too. <laughs> so, let, let me tell you, God does for you what you can't do for yourself. She was doing for me what I had no idea about. I had no idea. It sort of opened up a whole world. And having this little kid, and of course I had to include a picture of her because I love her and I want everybody to see her. Um, it's the greatest thing in the world. And I just want to finish off by saying this. Everything that I have in my life today is because of program. My beautiful, healthy baby daughter is not enough to keep me from eating. My beautiful wife is not enough to keep me from eating. Losing 100 pounds is not enough to keep me from eating. I constantly take my will back, and when I take my will back, one person suffers, and that's me. And it happens a lot. It happens a lot. That pink cloud in the beginning has been gone for a long time. And it's, uh, and it's very, very hard work. It's very hard work. 20 months old, a wife, when do I have... I don't have as much time to go to meetings anymore. When I don't get to enough meetings, I suffer. I don't have time to do my step work. When I can't do my step work, I suffer. Uh, I feel like I can have a little bit more food here, a little bit more of that. Maybe try dabble in that, and I suffer. And... Um, It's a very, very difficult thing um, to deal with. And I don't think that I'm unique in this program. I'm a compulsive overeater. I am a hardcore compulsive overeater. And the amount of food that I ate, I don't eat anything like that anymore, but the amount of food that I ate was um, absolutely insane. But I still have, they talk about this, I still have that God-sized hole. I still have it, and I still try to, to fill it with food. There are people in these rooms that have worked steps, and they don't have them anymore, and I love that. And I love that everybody has their own, their own path, and they do their own things, and I love that we're all here together, and we're just trying to support each other to get through to the next step and to be a better person. That's what I want to be. My, my, my sponsor, Scott, helped me define my abstinence as the kind of man 
that I've always wanted to become and the kind of man that higher power has always had in store for me. And I fall short a lot. I really do. I do. I'm a great husband and I'm a great father. Uh, but I'm shitty at this compulsive overeater thing. I am. And... Um, no people in these rooms that have done it perfectly. I haven't. I haven't. Um, I can tell you standing up here, uh, you know, compulsive overeating. I've, I've compulsively overeaten while I've been abstinent. I have. Um, Screw me up, burn me up. I don't know. That's just the way that it is. Um, the, the, the magnet for me are the rooms and the people in the rooms. And... Um, and knowing that I can't do it alone, and knowing that I need to reach out and ask for help. Um, and I know that I didn't talk a lot about God in my, um, in my pitch here, um, but without a higher power, it doesn't work. For me, that's my experience. It just doesn't work. Um, I need to know, and it makes me feel good to know that there's someone out there that has my back that wants the best for me, because Jeffrey doesn't always want the best for himself, but somebody else does. Um, and I need to be reminded of that. And, uh, and I'm reminded of that when I come into the rooms, and I'm reminded of that when I uh, talk to my sponsor, and I'm reminded of that when somebody reaches out to me, and I'm reminded of that when somebody outside these rooms gives me the time that I need. Uh, because sometimes we're, we're so busy, or I'm so busy, it's hard to give time to other people. Um, and that's what this uh, program is, is built on, you know? Giving service to other people and helping somebody else and saying, yeah, I've been where you've been, and uh, somebody else taught me the route out of here, and if you want to get out of here, um, I'll help you. And so, um, you know, to wrap up, I just want to say that uh, if you're new and if you're struggling and uh, if you're an old timer, we're all the same. We're in a 12 step program. If we were all here, we wouldn't be here. You know, we uh, <laughs> we. Uh, and I do love the people in these rooms. Not everybody, but uh, most, most of the people. Uh, but I am a proud member of, of, uh, of Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm, I'm very proud of this program, and I'm very proud of, 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 uh, of what's happened in this program. And I, and I know that I need to continue. And, um, and I will keep going, one foot in front of the other. And, uh, and thank you for letting me share. So. Okay, uh, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of a Reader's Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. And uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. And uh, I'll restate the question after it is asked. And we read till, well, nine something. Anyway, um, yes. Yeah, thank you very much. Sure. First time I've heard you, and thank you. Um, can you talk a little, we come from the same religious background, can you talk a little of how you evolved from where you were before you came to the program in terms of God sure. and religion and spirituality to where you are now, sort of the evolution? Sure. Uh, the question is, can I talk about uh, where I was uh, uh, in terms of religion and spirituality before program and, and where I am now? Should I stand up again? Yeah. yeah okay. Um, 
As I said, I grew up Jewish, and uh, I've always uh, had a very strong connection to, uh, to being Jewish, and I've always been very proud of being Jewish. Um, I was never a particularly uh, religious person. I certainly was never um, a spiritual person. To me, the only experience that I ever had with spirituality, when I was in college, I think, or high school, and I read a book by... Um, um, I don't know if I should mention, but it was an actress who believed in all that stuff and out on the limb. Okay, right. So um, uh, that, that was my only experience, and it didn't really, it didn't really um, call to me. Um, but I always had a relationship with God. I always prayed to God. I always felt, uh, I always felt like I had a one-on-one, one-on-one personal relationship with God. Uh, the difference and what started happening when I came into program was that instead of asking for things for myself, I started praying and, and giving thanks for things and asking for uh, other people. And, um, and, and that is probably, it's the same God though, it's the same guy, he just sort of kicked back and started laughing when I did that and sort of, you know, I think that, that he, uh, he um, our relationship just changed that way. And uh, I started really just asking for other people and instead of asking for myself and saying please help me get this or get that or I want this or I want that is thy will be done whatever happens happens uh, thank you for having my back um, and I hope that I can uh, I've heard it said in here you know um, you do God's work and God will do your work and uh, I, I try to do that I, I, I fall short often but um, uh, that's how it's changed for me so thank you yes I was having a partner in Overeaters Anonymous affected my recovery. It's uh, it's not always easy. It's difficult. It's because it's um, um, it's uh, I will say that it's wonderful to know that we both have sponsors that we can talk to and we both have a program and thank God that we can both raise our child in a way that was different from how we were raised. She wasn't raised badly. I wasn't raised badly. But we get to raise our kid together with a with a real common set of core values and uh, and it feels really good to be able to do that um, the nice thing about being um, married to someone who's also in program is that uh, she gets it she understands and she understands uh, when I really need my time and she understands when things are getting a little crazy and it's difficult too when we're out to dinner and she might uh, mention something about my food and it's just oh my god um, <laughs> You know, and, but we can laugh about that. But it's nice to be able to have a partner that you have a common thread with, and that thread really um, is something that that not only holds us together, but it it holds us to uh, it's our program, it's our program, and it's how we try to get uh, healthy and better. And so I would say overall, I'm I'm very happy uh, that I'm married to someone who's in program, but it's it's also difficult as well. How do you like that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey, thank you very much. Um, I was curious if your experience with, with sexual abuse, how you use the steps to, to help. Sure, the sexual abuse when I was a kid, and it's very it's very hard for me to even hear that word sexual abuse because even to this day, um, I have a, I just have a hard time saying that's what it was. Um, feel like it wasn't as bad as maybe some people had gone through. It doesn't seem like it was that big of a deal, even though it was. But I'll just start off by saying that. Um, I worked it in my inventory. Um, in my fourth step, there was a, a huge part of my sex inventory, and I, um, I confronted her. And I, uh, I, I shouldn't say confronted. I spoke to her about it. And, um, and part of my recovery, what I had to do was to cut off all contact. 
and um, and that's what I did. And I and I will say that it was not always successful because there were times when there was some communication and went back and forth. Um, but it came from uh, working the steps. And I remember there was a, a, a particularly um, oh, it was a very very um, odious thing that happened in my life that I was reading to my sponsor in my fifth step and I can remember reading it like this and she was sitting there and this is the one I'm reading it to a woman here and I was reading it and I was and I sort of looked at her face when I got to that part and there was nothing on her face and after we talked about it and I said so what did you think about that you know that one part that I read and she said to me she said Jeff look at the lengths that you went just to feel something look at what you did and that's uh, that's how I that's how I dealt with it that's how I dealt with it through the steps Um, how I had a lot of anger and the world owed me. I was working at a theater, I remember, in, uh, in, in Williamstown, Massachusetts. And I remember I was, uh, I was part of a core group of people at, at the theater that was not in the union. And we had a very long show that we had to do. And uh, the, the theater was feeding all of the union people uh, dinner. We, didn't, we had a very short time. And they, they were feeding everybody except for this other core group that I was part of. And... Um, and I, I grew up also um, not, I, I was taught don't ever let anybody walk over you. And I just, and I, to this day I won't. But the, I can still feel it today in the pit of my stomach, the anger, seeing that sign that was put up that they weren't going to feed us. Um, and the feeling of being, um, uh, being left out and not being a part of. And the, the, I was steaming and I was sweating and I went into the, to the, I remember I went into the office and I wound up yelling at the top of my lungs to everyone in there, knowing that I could get fired. It didn't matter. It was the, it was the feeling of don't exclude me. You don't, I, I don't deserve to be excluded. And then shortly thereafter, a sign went up saying everyone's welcome, you know, to eat dinner. But it was, it was the kind of thing where I don't think that I would do that today. Um, I, I did get a lot of the things that I wanted through, um, sheer force of will. And um, through um, forcing myself into situations and uh, what I learn in program, and I think for me, that works infinitely better, is you do your work and the rest is up to God. And because it, it's too hard, it, it, it's too hard, it's too much energy, it just takes up, it took up so much of my time. And it took up so much of the space inside of my body. And it, it, it basically, I say that it, it sort of enveloped the people around me, but really what it did was it just pushed everybody away. And uh, it's not a place that I want to go back to, and I still have a temper, and it still flares up like that. Um, but, uh, but I'm reminded, actually, on a daily basis, so hopefully it gets a little bit better as it goes on. Yes? Thank you for Something like this, yeah. So, and then you shared that you kind of still, you know, you're not doing it perfectly, and you, uh, you know, talked about how you know that there are some people, but you feel that you have this yeah. God-sized hole. And I guess my question is, you know, is that something that you stay in and you're working towards eventually 
not having that hope. Yeah, my, uh, sure. So with God, so that you don't have to, I mean, you talked about that, you, you know, you see people who are, you know, the food isn't so much an issue, and the food is kind of a sign that shows that you're not together yet, or, or it's not, you're not completely healed. It's fine. I, no, I, I get it. You know, that God-sized hole. And I, I'll, I'll talk about that, because um, early on in program, when I was losing the weight, um, it was replaced with God. It was replaced with program. Um, I was living alone at the time, and my, I, I, didn't, I didn't really know what to eat. I had people tell me what to eat. And, and the amount of food that I was eating was, was actually, it was very little. And so I was losing weight, and I would have kept going. But somebody said to me, they saw a picture of me, and they saw my bones sticking out here, and they said, it's time to stop. And, I, and I, so I just stopped because they were someone who had what I wanted and I stopped. And I just would have kept going. It was the high of losing because I never came into program to lose weight. I didn't think it was possible. I thought that this is the way that I was going to be. I, I really came in just for, uh, just for the relief. So I had that God-sized hole filled up. So here's what happens. Uh, life starts to happen. So as, my, as, I, as I worked the steps in program, and as I started meeting people, and I, and I met my wife, and I had a baby, life happens, and I'm not used to this stuff. And I'm not using any of it as an excuse, but it's part of my story. It's part of my story. I was no longer going to Trader Joe's at night and eating a salad that was this big and a little bag of sprouts. I now had a wife who was making you know, chicken dinners and things, and it was more food, and it was just, it was just different. It's different, and it's been very difficult for me to navigate that. And I don't use that as an excuse. It's just part of my story. And so, but the reality is, would I like to be able to get back to that feeling? Yes, and I will get there. I will get there. Um, And it's going to take more work and more effort than I put into it. That's what it's going to take. If I'm feeling nervous and if I'm feeling, um, if I'm feeling anxious and nervous, I don't feel like I'm connected to God. If I'm up a few pounds, I'm not connected. I'm just not connected. It's not normal to be heavy. It's just not normal. Um, this is my experience. I'm talking. I'm talking about myself. It's not normal for me to be heavy because the foods that I eat when I'm heavy are not the foods that I eat when I'm normal-sized. And I feel better. I feel better. So, I'll get there. Yes? Um, thank you very much. Sure. Did you... I'm going to tell you about a uh, quick story about uh, one of the amends that I had to make. <clears throat> when I was living in New York City, I lived in a, in a brownstone on the bottom floor in the front. And the homeless used to, um, used to come to the front and, and they would, five minutes, they would uh, go through all the trash to pick what they needed and they would you know, get the soda cans and everything. So I was going to teach them a lesson because every time that they came there, they made a mess. And I lived there, and I had to look out. So I was going to teach them a lesson. And I was drinking a lot of soda at the time. So what I used to do was, um, I used to cut the soda cans in half. And then after cutting them in half, I would cut them in triangles and open them up. And then I would put them into plastic bags. And I would leave them out there so that if the homeless person put their hand in there, they would cut themselves, and then they wouldn't come back to my trash can because they left a mess. And at the time, um, that was that kind of behavior... Was, uh, was normal. It was, not only was it normal, I celebrated it. And it was funny. And I shared it with people. And it was, they thought I was crazy, but it was, that's, how, that's how that I was. Um, 
as long as I'm on this, I got, I got to, I got to finish this story. So when I came into program and I had to make my amends, uh, one of the things that I did was I volunteered at the LA mission and, um, I went there <clears throat> with someone in program. So one of the things that we had to do was, um, it was so strange. We would just sit in this, in this little rotunda and they would just pick you to do different things. Like, oh, we need somebody to serve cake. Come over here. You guys do this. And there were two of us left. And, oh, we need someone to um, uh, uh, open up the soda bottles and feed, you know. So basically what we had to do was um, I was opening up all the soda bottles and the person that I, that I was with had the, um, the, the jugs and I would pour the soda in there. And so I had to open up all of the soda bottles. And so a really amazing thing happened. After about half an hour, it was really hard to open up the soda bottles. And I noticed that all the skin on my hands uh, was gone. And it, it, I didn't really notice it until I got home that night and I took a shower and I was, and I, was I had hair at the time. I was, <laughs> I was doing my hair and my hands were hurting and I looked down at my hands and I'm looking at my hands and I just said, I called my friend and I said, I just witnessed a physical manifestation of a higher power. I mean, there it is. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that did I leave a trail of destruction? I, I had a lot of amends to make, a lot of women, oh, a lot of women on my amends. Uh, and I made amends to everyone, every single person. I didn't leave anybody out. I made amends to everyone, every institution, everything that I had ever done wrong. Because I was told, if you leave something out, it's not going to work. And it was not easy. And I was met with um, love and understanding from every single person that I came into contact with. Everybody. Everybody. If that is not incentive enough to know that people are good and that people want the best for you, I don't know what is. But, um, um, yeah, I left some destruction there. So, yeah. Anyone else? Sure, an example of an amends. Um, when I was in grade school, uh, there was a, a kid in my school. He was a black kid, and his name, I don't need to say his name. Uh, we, we got into a fight once, and um, <clears throat> I called him the N-word. I spit in his hair, and um, I, even though I hadn't had contact with him, and even though it had been so long, over 20 years, that I could still remember that day. I could still remember that day and what I did to that person. And I looked him up on the internet. Guy was a brain surgeon. And I um, found out what hospital he worked at. I didn't call, but I wrote a letter. He was the only person that I didn't hear back from, which was fine. I did not expect to hear, but I wrote him a letter. And I told him who I was. I told him that I was in program. I said that I've lost this weight. I said part of what I have to do to, to keep this is to make amends, and I owe you an amends for what I did to you all those years ago, and I'm so sorry. That was it. That was, that was one. I made amends to... Um, I used to steal towels from uh, the YMCA and take them to an animal shelter. Um, so I had to call the YMCA and say, I probably stole 150, 200 towels from you guys. How much are they? And they told me, and I said, I can't pay it all back right now, but I'll, I'll send you checks. I called the uh, supermarket when I was a young kid, and I used to steal food. Stealing food when you're a kid, it might not seem like a big deal, but when you're 30-something years old and you remember those things and they stick with you, I've got to deal with it. I've got to deal with it. So I'm talking to somebody in Philadelphia. What? 
What? <laughs> oh, I said, I want to send something. Okay. So I sent some money. I don't know how much I stole, but I sent some money. And then there were a lot of amends to a lot of women who I did not treat well, who I just had, um, you know, taking prisoners like that. That's what it was like for me. That's how I had relationships, was grabbing on and not letting go. And it was just a lot of amends, and, and everyone, was, everyone was great. Is that it? Thank you.